0: All right, joining me today on the ANC report is a senator for Virginia, state senator for the Commonwealth of Virginia, Richard Black. He was also a former member of the House of Delegates and also a United States Marine. How are you doing today?
1: Doing real well. Yeah, this is, this is uh, Memorial Day, and so we're, uh, we're doing some postings on, on uh, some friends who never came back. And uh, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a special day for us.
0: Well, you wrote something called The Origins of the Syrian War, and I know you've been to Syria as well. There seems to be a, a conflicting narrative, at least within uh, mass media in the U.S., on what is really going on in Syria. People are confused. We're fighting ISIS, yet we're also fighting the Syrian government, and the Syrian government's fighting ISIS at the same time. It seems very convoluted, and some sides are saying Bashar al-Assad's an evil dictator. Others do not. Um, We never said anything for the first 10 years of his presidency, however. It's suddenly he became a monster in 2011. So I'd like to break down the narrative with you and get your thoughts. You've been to Syria um, prior to the conflict and and afterwards. What was your experience in being over there?
1: Well, it was very interesting. Uh, I've studied the Syrian situation since uh, 2011. I actually began with studying Libya and trying to figure out what was the motivation for our attacking Libya. Uh, Libya was, at that point, our strongest ally in North Africa. Uh, they they were just one of the strongest allies in the war on terror. Um, we had had our problems with Gaddafi, uh, Colonel Gaddafi, but uh, those had been resolved long before. Um, Everything was stable, everything was fine, and yet we, you know, launched a uh, an attack that literally destroyed them. There, there is no government uh, to speak of in, in Libya, and previously it was the most prosperous, uh, potentially the most stable of all of the North African governments. So that triggered my curiosity, uh, typically, when we, when we attack nations in the Middle East, it has something to do with the supply of oil and gas. Uh, we, we're very much in the pocket of the Saudi Arabians. The Saudi Arabians control the price of, of oil uh, by destroying their competitors, uh, uh, waging war on them and restricting the supply of oil. Um, now that's a paradigm that is about to come to an end because of the tremendous success that we've had with fracking in the United States um, and frankly the fact that people are just fed up with being yanked around by the Saudi arabians um, but anyway so so I got involved in that now with with Syria as I as I began to have a, a clear comprehension of what was going on in Libya that automatically leads you to Syria because the reason that we attacked Libya was not about oil Uh, the reason we attacked Libya was that uh, the neocons needed a very large source of advanced military weapons if they were going to overthrow Syria now unlike some uh, countries in the Middle East, Syria was, was an extremely stable, uh, advanced nation. They had uh, the greatest uh, religious freedom of any Arab nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had essentially complete uh, uh, women's equality. Um, now, obviously, you know, with the various religious factions, you, you, you're going to have some variations on that. Uh, but women were able to travel. They were able to go to school. They were able to wear what they wanted, uh, marry who they wanted. Uh, you know, just generally, were very free. So here we, you know, we've been, you know, variously touting reasons for why we're fighting all these wars, and one of the reasons we said, well, we're going to, we're going to bring our form of democracy uh, over there, which. Really has been farcical from the beginning, but particularly in Syria, where you took the most democratic nation in the Arab world. I mean, this is this is a nation uh, with with a pretty darn good constitution. I've read it wall to wall, and. Uh, Uh, It it talks about the rule of law, it talks about women's rights, it talks about religious freedom.
0: Unlike our allies where we're we're allied with monarchs in Saudi Arabia who are cutting people's heads off and stoning people to death.
1: Yes. We, uh, if you look at, uh, you know, we're we're in the Geneva peace talks right now, and we have a a scorpion on one hand and a tarantula on the other sitting beside us at the peace table. Saudi Arabia is demanding that Syria rewrite its very fine and very modern constitution. Saudi Arabia has no constitution whatsoever. This is a nation where the dictators there's a there's a tribe we call them the royal family and I'm convinced that if you if you want to be an absolute tyrant you need to call yourself a king because somehow that just flies with the US media they say oh that's great you know he's a dictator but he's a king so we'll call him a king but but the entire royal family is a tribe that has diplomatic immunity so they go all over the world they commit crimes they you know they're involved in debauchery and everything else and But they do it under diplomatic immunity. And got sometimes that, it, I want
0: to point out, they got that diplomatic immunity in 1976, a month before the CIA created the Safari Club, working with their intelligence agencies for the sole purpose of destailing countries in the Middle East for uh, financial reasons.
1: Yes. Well, and there's, it, it's it's amazing that that Saudi Arabia would put out press releases saying that you know, there needs to be greater freedom in Syria, or that they would insist that they rewrite their constitution. Uh, Turkey is doing the same thing. And when I say the scorpion and the tarantula, uh, uh, the tarantula is Turkey because you have uh, Prime Minister Erdogan who has said that he wants the powers of Adolf Hitler. Now, here we are. I mean, this is amazing. When when we were trying to justify our war in Iraq, we were saying, we're going to bring democracy. We're going to bring a, a modern Western type of government there. And here we are uh, with a man who would be Adolf Hitler and,
0: and who admits it. S- Saddam Hussein was compared to Hitler. All our enemies are always compared to Hitler. Uh, The neocons were calling him Hitler and PNAC and the Weekly Standard. They referred to him as Hitler. And here you have Erdogan comparing himself to Hitler, and the media does mental gymnastics to excuse it. He wants to be the Fuhrer. And he's torn the Turkish Constitution to pieces, and and he's doing illegal oil trades with ISIS.
1: He has, and there were 2,000 oil tankers that were running Stolen oil across the Syrian border, um, uh, at at the the peak, which went for a long time, they were running 44,000 barrels of oil across the Turkish border every day, and then they would come back loaded with uh, loaded with arms and and equipment, and uh, <clears throat> and then when Russia went in with their relatively modest uh, expeditionary force to, uh, to rescue the Syrians who were in, in difficult straits. Uh, they were able to discover uh, a truck park with 500 tankers, some of them 18 wheelers, lined up side by side in the wide open desert. Somehow the U.S. coalition uh, with all of its uh, with all of its assets and its satellite technology, somehow we just couldn't quite spot 500 tankers lined up side by side in the desert. So uh, we we obviously have some technological difficulties, uh, and we're not nearly as advanced as we think we are. Um, either that, or, uh, we or we're there. lying through our teeth, which <laughs> yes. I think is much more likely. It's interesting, when the Russians went in, they bombed and and they destroyed 500 trucks within the first couple of days. The United States immediately came out, put out a press release, and said it wasn't the Russians, it was the United States that bombed the uh, trucks. That obviously did not fly, and so after a couple of days, then they, they did another one, they said, well, Sure, the Russians did it, but they didn't destroy nearly as many as they claimed that they had. Well, I, I was able to, uh, while I was in Syria uh, several weeks ago, I spoke with the head of, uh, of Syrian intelligence, and he told me that at this point, they have now destroyed 1,500 of those original 2,000 tankers. And, of course, you know, uh, ISIS has had to cut its salaries in half, because of the reduction in oil trade uh, with, the, uh, with the Turkish authorities. So uh, it, it, it was a very interesting trip over there. I spent about two hours speaking with uh, President Assad and with the First Lady, who, who came in and joined us. Uh, two, of, two of the most interesting people you'll ever meet uh, President Assad is a very unlikely um, sort of individual. He, he fell into the presidency because his, his brother, who was being groomed for the presidency, was killed in an accident. Uh, President Assad was a genuine practicing physician. Uh, he had married a woman who was very westernized and had, uh, had grown up uh, in London and uh, who is very modern i mean if you if you educated uh, in london too yes yes completely completely westernized she she dresses in a western fashion and unlike so many first ladies we become accustomed to uh, she is neither arrogant uh, nor pompous uh she does not dress in a flashy extravagant fashion If you pass by her in the, uh, uh, at the grocery store, you'd simply say, oh, there's a very, very lovely young lady. Um, She is, she is the more um, sort of outgoing individual. Uh, President Assad, he, he's a very brilliant man, uh, uh, and uh, he, he is thoughtful. Uh, he's, he's sort of a quiet, he's soft-spoken, uh, so this is the reason, you know, with, with some of our other uh, people that we've brought down, we always like to, uh, to show them how gruff and rough they are. It's very awkward to do it, so we only show photographs of President Assad. We never show him speaking, because when you hear his voice, you say, this is a mass murderer I don't think so and I studied him uh, <clears throat> at the very beginning six years ago I studied him and his wife watched videos of them and it was it was interesting just to see it confirmed in person that this is literally who they are they they told me this one thing that is sort of was was kind of a, a fun thing uh, President Assad, uh, he he's he has this very shy humor, and he said uh, he said my children uh, tell me, Papa, when you're out there, you're the president, but when you're at home, Mama's the president, hmm. and she she laughed because she she obviously is uh, um, she is not a, your your typical subservient. Um, uh, woman that you might expect over in the Middle East. She is, uh, you know, she's very much a, a person of, of great, uh, great moral strength, great courage. You know, they, they could easily, when they saw that the United States had made a decision to take down their government, easiest thing in the world would them for, would have been for them to say, kids, let's pack up. We're going to take off to some friendly place, we'll live the good life. But they knew that of course if they left the government would would collapse, uh, all of the non extreme Muslims and all of the, the non Muslims would be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is one of the goals. If you if you look at the at the sources of the war Um, You have, you know, one of the triggering events was the fact that Syria refused to allow Qatar to run a gas pipeline that was supposed to go uh, across Saudi Arabia, across Syria, into Turkey, and eventually make its way to Europe. as, they, they also were, signed
0: up for a rival line that would start in Iran and end up in Syria, which would have broken the current monopoly of the BTC gas and oil line, which are side-by-side side, that run uh, from Azerbaijan to Turkey, and so they're breaking that oil monopoly, but that happened in 2010, right. At, but this war started The plan, you said it was a U.S. decision, the U.S. decision to go into Syria was long before 2010.
1: It was, you know, it, it's interesting. and. There are people who track quite a ways back, and you can go a long ways back. I usually start when I'm discussing it, so that people can comprehend, with the year 2001. So right after the uh, the attack by Al Qaeda on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, um, uh, uh, General Wesley Clark, uh, who was formerly Supreme Allied Commander Europe, which made him the the senior American general outside of the United States, outside of the Pentagon. Uh, he went, he visited with the Secretary of Defense, and then he went down in the war room and he spoke with one of his generals. And uh, over, over the course of a month, uh, he was down there. He knew that uh, we were going to invade Iraq. Uh, and you can see these things. I knew we were going to invade Iraq a year before we did, because all of the propaganda mechanisms have to kick in. The CIA needs to begin doing its work. Uh, you need to you need to demonize before you can kill. So all of this was underway.
0: Yeah, they started that in 1998, and then after 9/11, they were able to rehash a lot of the lies they had said before. They retold as if it was current information.
1: Yes, that's right. But anyway, so so General Wesley Clark is in there, and he asked the general a couple of months after 9-11, he says, are we still going into Iraq? And the general says, oh, it's worse than that. And he pulls up a top secret document, and he says, we're going to take down seven Middle Eastern countries in the next five years. Uh, They had received an order from the Secretary of Defense to begin drawing up uh, war plans. Now, it's, it's interesting to note that not one of those countries had ever taken any offensive action against the United States. Um, now, if we had added Saudi Arabia, which was very instrumental in the 9-11 attacks, might have been a different matter. But uh, they were not included. Uh, these were all neutral, non-belligerent countries, uh, which meant that uh, taking them down involved wars of aggression, which under historical standards have always been war crimes. Uh, two of those countries were Libya and Syria. And uh, so so that's in 2001. In 2006, uh, there was a detailed plan drawn up by the U.S. Embassy in Damascus, Syria, for destabilizing Syria. And uh, uh, the, uh, the plan had two things that, that really stood out. One is uh, the, the acting ambassador, the charge d'affaires, uh, said, he said, look, you know, there's a tremendous amount of foreign direct investment coming into Syria because Assad was viewed as being a reformer, and so people were starting to to put their bets on Syria that this was going to be an economic powerhouse. And so uh, the, uh, the acting ambassador said, we, we've got to smear the reputation of, of Syria so that we can stop this investment and we can cause de- deterioration <clears throat> in the, uh, in the uh, economy. <clears throat> but something that I think was much more sinister even than that is he said, we, we have got to create religious divisions and frictions. Uh, he was calling for, for religious hatreds to shatter the cohesion of yeah. Syria.
0: Purposely foster sectarian infighting. I would point yes. out that the 2001 plan is coming from the chairman of the Defense Policy Board, which was Richard Pearl, uh, working closely with Paul Wolfowitz, who was the under, uh, secretary at the time. And he used to be the defense for policy and planning in the State Department uh, during Iran-Contra. He's the one that worked with Gorbanifar and Ladin. And so that was another case where the US was publicly denouncing something and privately we were supporting the Contras the whole time. And that seems to be the same situation where we're publicly denouncing these extremists. We say we're only helping the moderates, but again and again we're not bombing ISIS's oil cartels. We're we're allowing the uh Afala Hasham to get prisoner swaps with nine eleven suspects out of jail, uh, which with Robert Ford supported, things like that. So it's that's important. By by two thousand six you have another event which was the uh assassination of Rafiq Hariri in Lebanon which was the pretext to move the Syrian military out of Lebanon and this plan to foster sectarian infighting was an old Israeli plan from Oded Yinan a strategist which had laid this out for Iraq and Syria and these same individuals like Richard Pearl Wolfowitz Libby are the ones who are writing a clean break for Israel uh, and these policy papers which dovetailed completely with the Syrian plan the, The added interest was when you had overlapping energy interest on top of that, then you had this train wreck of the neoconservatives and Zionists together to fight Syria for for different reasons, but all for profiteering and to foster uh, religious infighting, which is sad because now a quarter million people have died, and uh, none of them have uh, paid any consequences for their becoming architects for these wars.
1: Now, it it is true that... There is a very, very sinister group of people uh, who we refer to as the neocons. And they, they include the individuals that, uh, that you mentioned. Uh, Billy Crystal is another one. Uh, there, there are a number of these folks who, who thrive on war, and they, uh, they profit from war. Uh, there's just enormous profiteering going on uh, at the cost of, uh, of human lives. Uh, on, on both sides of the war, um, but, but all of this, this is going on in 2006. Now, it was not until 2011 that, that the, all of the events began to be triggered. There's, you have, a, you have a, a suicide attempt or, well, a, a suicide that was carried out in Tunisia. Now, people commit suicide all around the world every day of the of, of the year. Um, but for some reason, this particular suicide triggered the so-called Arab Spring. Now the arab spring was 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 promoted as being some sort of a tremendous desire on the part of of Middle Easterners to become more democratic and to have greater freedoms and so forth. And of course this was a, a total fabrication. Um, it was, uh, it was uh, a covert action uh, by, uh, you know, probably all of the people who are involved in Syria today, uh, CIA, MI6, French intelligence, uh, MIT from, from uh, Turkey, the, the Saudi intelligence people,
0: well, it's the all... same groups that helped finance the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. The same groups who worked together during Iran-Contra. It's it's actually not only the same groups. It's the same people, uh, and none of this ever happens in a vacuum. This Egyptian revolution, or this That's is Operation right. Ajax 2.0. It's fostered by intelligence agencies. Not one. It's all of them. This is what they do. This is this in the State Department is just as guilty as the CIA.
1: There, you know. Uh, there was a, a very brilliant fellow who who kind of got me my start in in politics and he says nothing ever just happens in politics and so uh you know you saw a very similar thing uh with the with the nazis uh with the burning of the reichstag true there was a mad dutchman who went in and who lit the fires but instead of having a a little fire smolder in a trash can in the huge Reichstag, he lit a match and all of a sudden the entire Reichstag, which is like the the U.S. Capitol, went up in flames. Well, that didn't happen from one one crazy Dutchman and the Arab Spring did not occur because of one individual who committed suicide in Tunisia. It is interesting that uh, Tunisia, uh, just as an aside, Uh, contributes more individuals to ISIS than any other nation uh, on earth and that's uh, there are 60 different countries doing it but anyway so we we get up to 2011 and what happens in Libya is the CIA talks to Gaddafi and says look as a as a uh, an expression of goodwill we want you to release the most dangerous al-Qaeda operatives from your prisons. Gaddafi at this point is willing to do anything that he's told by the United States. He, he is totally, uh, uh, totally acquiescent in whatever we ask for, and so he releases them, and immediately we go to work, we set up an organization in Benghazi, and using uh, Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda, uh, we begin uh, having snipers who would shoot police officers and then they would shoot some demonstrators and back and forth. This is, a, this is an old covert technique for, for turning ordinary demonstrations into riots and into, uh, into revolution.
0: Yeah, we've done that you, in Central America many times. And you can see the Muslim Brotherhood also had their own crystal knock moment in Syria, uh, very similar in that events, marking doors and shooting people. And it's interesting to me, and, and I heard you give an account, I believe it was your interpreter, who was saying that this person was at the original demonstrations in Daraa, and where all of a sudden there are people with al-Qaeda flags and carrying around complex automatic weapons, and Syria doesn't have the right to bear arms, so where were they getting these things? Of course, we know they got them from Libya, but What's the official explanation for how they had all these guns?
1: Well, you know, this has never been explained. And in fact, of the, you know, most everything that I saw over there was consistent with what I had determined through open source intelligence. Um, But one of the things that had not been reported on anywhere was the very brief duration of genuine demonstrations. And I ran into three different people who had actually been demonstrators. Now, the media has trained us to think of of anti-Assad demonstrators as being people who wanted to overthrow the government. I have been a demonstrator. Perhaps you've been a demonstrator. Yeah, it's you know, just
0: reform. It's not <laughs> yeah. a complete takeover.
1: That's right. We we march on the capital, but we're we're not uh, asking for people to be you know taken off and beheaded. We're trying to reform something, and this is what was happening. And uh, the one that stands out was my interpreter, who we just happened to be chatting on the final day that I was there, and he he said, "Oh, he said you know, he said I was an anti-Assad demonstrator." I said, "Oh, I said that's interesting." I said, tell me about it. he said, well, and he explained. He said, uh, we, we went through this sequence. We started off as just being genuine demonstrators, typical demonstrators. And uh, he said, then the first thing, they brought the Al-Qaeda flags. And we said, get rid of those. This is not what we're about. Then they brought automatic weapons and military-style weapons. We said, get rid of the weapons. We're not We're not into armed things. We're just trying to reform. And then, he said, the third thing is they began to to proselytize uh, about religious hatreds and hatred of the Christians, of the Alawites, of the Shiites, and of the of the moderate uh, Sunnis yeah,
0: Sunnis as well. This is Wahhabi Islam, but the current ISIS commander is from Kosovo, and he was trained at one of these Saudi-backed madrasas for the CIA. It's utterly disgusting. Yeah. And it was never like that before. I don't know if people really understand how Syria was before all of this. They act like Assad's always been some brutal dictator. I mean, he was keeping this coalition of minorities, uh, keeping their autonomy, Christians, Muslims, everyone. And since then, Absolutely. it's been Al-Qaeda. We had Robert Ford go to Syria. In 2011, he was the ambassador there. And and he's talking about Afar al-Sham uh, as is what he defined as moderate rebels, because they asked, where are these moderate rebels? That's what he named. These people got Mohammed Zamar out of prison. and Mohammed Zamar was the financial bagman for Mohammed Atta, who was the lead hijacker on 9-11. So they got a 9-11 plotter out of jail, and they're still considered moderate. It's unbelievable.
1: It, you know, it, it is incredible. The people we've aligned ourselves with are totally intertwined with Al-Qaeda, the very people who killed 3,000 Americans on 9-11. Now on May the 14th of this year, um, uh, 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 Arar al-Sham, which is one of the groups we refuse to call terrorist, uh, entered into an Alawite village called al Zara. Now the Alawites are the friends of the Christians, they're very westernized, very, very modern in their, their way of living.
0: Assad is an Alawite himself, too. Y-
1: yes, he, he is said to be an Alawite. Um, and his much of his base of support are Alawites. They went into this uh, village of al Uh They captured, uh, I believe, 43 women and children. Uh, I have a photo that I will not, you know, uh, trouble your your people with but I'll describe because I'm looking at it right now Uh, and we know that we know for a fact that these are Arar al-Sham because they've actually put it up on their website not this particular picture with it but uh, we know also from uh, from personal contacts that uh, that we have over there that it was Arar al-Sham and I will describe the photo there are three the bodies of three women who have apparently been machine gunned. I'm a former prosecutor, so you can tell from blood splatter uh, what has happened. And there's a very extensive blood splatter all over the, the walls. Uh, and there are three uh, young women, probably probably mothers, who are, who are lying dead, uh, one of the Arar al-Sham Uh, fellows apparently the leader of the group is standing with his his booted foot on the back of a uh, of a woman in a dark blue dress with red hair and she's lying and there's a long pool of blood uh, draining from her all of them dead Uh, another one in a light blue dress another one in a in a gray dress and here are the three of them and you can see on the wall there's a there's a uh, a large map. Now, this is in a, a fairly poor house, you can tell. Um, but there's a map. And they may have used that map to uh, instruct their children in, uh, in geography. And um, anyway, so they, they went through the village. They murdered all of the women. They captured the children. And uh, uh, I am informed from local people over there uh, that they hung up the children and they burned them alive. These are people we refuse to call terrorists. If that is not terrorism, there is no definition of terrorism. It simply, it simply is a, a propaganda term that has no meaning whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But these are the, the reason that we won't acknowledge that uh, Arar al-Sham and groups like this are terrorists is that we need to have various groups that we can funnel our weapons through. If the United States cut off the supply of anti-tank weapons for, uh, for ISIS, or, or uh, rather for well, uh, Al-Qaeda. basically is ISIS.
0: ISIS through intermediaries. That's all it is. That's right. And they, some they, of these guys just switch hats. They are ISIS. They're just the, ISIS. The
1: same, the same people supply them and it's sort of like competing drug cartels and somebody is supplying the cocaine to both of them and so you've got some some friction between the two but but they're both trying to achieve the same same objective and so we have to have some means of getting our weapons there so that's why we've been reluctant to declare uh, these other groups as terrorists because that's how we send the anti-tank weapons ISIS would not have anti-tank weapons were it not for the United States and for France, which both provide anti-tank weapons and they they make their way through the channels. We know where they're going. Look at all the
0: Toyota trucks they drive around in by the hundreds. That thirty
1: thousand. Now this is this is old intelligence from maybe a, a couple years back. There were thirty thousand brand new Toyota trucks. Now If we were serious about terrorism, I have to believe that the president of the United States could pick up the phone and say, hey, um, could you guys just check your records and see uh, where those 30,000 trucks uh, went? And of course, they all all entered ports in Turkey because they all come across the Turkish border.
0: Um, That was part of the non-lethal aid that Obama started with.
1: That's right. It's non-lethal aid. Uh, they they purchase the trucks, and then they purchase 23 millimeter uh, double double-barreled cannon in Croatia. They mount them. It's very easy to do, and then then you've got a very serious weapon, a, a very deadly weapon. So we we are not in any respect trying to win the war on terror. We are trying to promote terrorism, uh, and I would say if you, if you were forced to line up in order the, the greatest sponsors of global terrorism, number one would be Saudi Arabia because they provide the philosophical foundation and financing. Number two would be Turkey because Turkey is the one that's flooding the Middle East with all of the weapons. And number three probably would be the United States. And I say that as a very patriotic American, but we are facilitating by 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 choosing the the freest and the most the most democratic really of, of all of the Arab nations and going after it. Um, we're trying to bring that down. If we bring down Syria, uh, as we have planned to do, then al-Qaeda or ISIS, one of the two or a combination, will fly the dread black and white flag of of al-Qaeda over Damascus. They will consolidate a huge area under Wahhabism. They will slaughter all of the Christians, all of the Alawites. Uh, Many of the the moderate Sunnis will, will be slaughtered. And uh, and I think, I think that Israel has been playing a very, very reckless, very dangerous game because if Damascus falls, Lebanon will fall, and Jordan, which is, which is a, a very unstable nation at best, Jordan will fall. And then Israel, which is accustomed to having uh, the Palestinians or, or or Hamas on their borders you know where they do have some friction you talk about the junior varsity you compare those uh, individuals with these combat hardened troops yeah. of uh, of Isis and Al Qaeda who would then have seized the entire arsenal of uh, of Syria, um, I I really I really don't think that there will be an Israel if they actually carry out what they're trying to do and they bring down Syria. Well,
0: Hezbollah has never attacked Israel; they've only defended attacks from Israel. Hamas has attacked Israel, but they're not a, remotely the kind of threat that ISIS would be. And and some Israeli generals agree with you. Netanyahu has one idea, and other Israeli generals who accept the Iran deal, accept, they don't agree with uh, Netanyahu at all. And so there is tension within Israel uh, about these plans, because they are kind of walking a tightrope. I, I do believe that they're not really sincere in overthrowing Bashar al-Assad. They're just sincere in the same thing with Vietnam and prolonging a conflict as long as possible so as many profits can be made as possible. We had our own DIA report. Michael Flynn talked about this, where... They knew they were fostering a salafist principality and that was the point. That was the whole yes. goal was to tear them apart and put them in perpetual war.
1: Yes. And you know, I, I remember I was I was in Germany during the Cold War and uh was taking a flight home and we had space available flights and I looked up on the board and there were flights to Jordan and to Riyadh and different places and I thought I wish I had a few days to go and just, you know, just go around as a tourist. Back in those days, you could have gone anywhere in the Middle East, from from Iran to Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, anywhere you wanted to go, and you could have gone in in relative safety. Interestingly, Syria uh, was rated by the United Nations as one of the five safest nations on earth, and if you think of the five safeties, You're including nations like uh, Switzerland and Japan, yeah.
0: <laughs> Japan,
1: places like that. So to get into the top five, you're you're really talking uh, about uh, about uh, some serious safety. And you could have done that back then. Today, uh, when you know, I visited Palmyra, which had been recaptured by the Syrian army uh, from ISIS, and. We we went out into Indian country from there, and uh, I had a I had a, a heavy attack jet, flying uh, flying runs on one side. Uh, I had four attack helicopters, uh, covering our left flank. I was in a in a four-ton bulletproof uh, vehicle, and in front of us we had a truck with, with a, a dual-barreled. Uh, uh, heavy heavy cannon truck and, and this is uh,
0: something that actually happened this is I'm talking with a former US marine this is something that actually happened unlike Hillary Clinton dodging sniper fire <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know i you know on memorial day i hope i hope there are a lot of uh, a lot of veterans who remember what she said cuz there's something called stolen valor uh that it's a term used by by actual veterans. And, and you'll find a veteran will not uh, distort his record. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like her to come and just totally fabricate and say, oh, yeah, I was being shot at, and I was such a hero, and it was an utter, bald-faced lie, like so much of what she says, um,
0: I was Just would about say, everything she's ever said, really. <laughs>
1: It's true. She she is clearly uh, of all of the of all of the people who have uh, who have been in the presidential campaign on both sides. She is the most dangerous individual. I agree yes. because she is very much a part of this uh, neocon network. Uh, and you know when we when we fought in other wars, I'm not saying all of those were justified, but we were always looking to the end when can we finish this thing when can we wrap it up when when can we get home when can we have peace we don't even think about peace anymore they've come up with this term the long war and they declared it the long war before it had ever become long because they had no intention of ever ending it and oh. i think
0: yeah once we can, <clears throat> sorry when they were doing the budget plans for afghanistan they didn't know what it cost per year. They didn't know how many soldiers we had lost. They didn't know how many people we had killed. All they knew is they wanted to stay there another five years. And they didn't have any numbers, even on That's US right. soldiers, because it doesn't matter to them. As long as the opium is coming in, it's all good.
1: Yeah, and, and there, there are all sorts of economic things. The, the opium uh, trade is a, is a very big one, the oil and, and gas competition is another one. Um, but underlying it is this is this bargain with the devil that you have in Saudi Arabia where you have you have an utterly perverse and decadent tribal uh, group who call themselves the royal family and the only way that they can stay in power is that they have this filthy, putrid, group of, of Wahhabists uh, who, who teach just the most vile things to people, <clears throat> I was, uh, and this has been going on for a long time, but it's, it's been sort of sort of brought back to life by, by the Saudis with a tremendous intensity.
0: Well, the starving children in Yemen right now, the poorest country in the Middle East, is being uh, assaulted by Saudi Arabia, flying US warplanes. It's utterly disgusting. And, and they're,
1: they're doing it with U.S. assistance. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, uh, when the Houthis rose up against the against a corrupt government that they had, uh, it was a very popular revolution. That there's no evidence whatsoever that it was backed or instigated by Iran. That that was just yeah. a total a total hoax. And but they overthrew the, the corrupt government. And one of the first things they did is they began to drive into the areas that had long been held by al-Qaeda. Now, the United States had, a, had an air base in Yemen under the, the corrupt old government. And every once in a while, we'd go and we'd, we'd do a drone strike and, and pretend like we were doing something against al-Qaeda. And all of a sudden, the Houthis take over, and they're sweeping the, uh, the Al-Qaeda people from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of territory that they had held for years and years. So we had to get in immediately on the side of the Saudi Arabians because the Saudi Arabians are Al-Qaeda. Uh-huh. They, are the, they are the instigators. They are the financiers of Al-Qaeda. When when Al Qaeda uh, flew into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, uh, 14 of the of the 19 uh, uh, hijackers were Saudi Arabians, and
0: uh, well, it's, and it's there a lot were, worse than that because that's that can be what it is. But uh, Prince Bandar was financing. Al-Hazmi and Al-Midhar, two 9-11 hijackers, through Omar Bayoumi and Osama Basnan, we know that, we know the CIA knew that, and we know the FBI knew that, and nothing happened. They're living in the U.S. with their real names, and these Saudis from Bandar Bush directly through two intermediaries, through Riggs Bank and living in California, giving them checks, giving them money, supporting them financially. We They tracked them to Malaysia uh, Al-Qaeda summit meeting. They had, uh, Al-Hazmi had been involved in the uh, bombing of the USS Cole and got out of prison at, somehow, all of them did. And then they're living in California openly with financial support from the Saudis, from not just Saudis, from the, Saudi, the head of Saudi intelligence. And Kofor Black and Richard Blee and George Tinet were well aware of this the entire time and they didn't do anything. So yeah, Al-Qaeda is Saudi Arabia, but with a green light from Uncle Sam. Because we work with these same factions fighting the Soviets when we financed the Mujahideen. And who set up BCCI, the bank where they laundered all the money in and, and all the narcotics traffic? It came right out of uh, Prince Ben Fasile and Bandar Bush. Same people, same individuals. And that was set up by Bush's father and Ted Shackley and the same people that were running the Phoenix program in Vietnam and on the heroin and all the disastrous stuff from the 70s. It doesn't change. But... People forget the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and they act like Al-Qaeda popped up in 2001. Well, we've been financing Al-Qaeda before 9-11 and we're financing them after 9-11 and it really makes you want to question, well, what was going on on 9-11? Did they double crosses or what, what was going on there?
1: Well, it, you know, when I first heard that about 9-11, I, you know, immediately just dismissed it. I thought this is just too absurd, but uh, I, I have to say that uh, there, there's a little uncertainty in my mind about, uh, about what happened. This was not the first attack by this, by this same group on the Twin Towers. Right. Uh, the blind sheik, uh, again, uh, trained in, in Saudi Arabia, had tried to bring down the Twin Towers previously. And I'll tell you something amazing. If you go back um, to the Second World War, uh, there was a there was a, a landing of a group of uh, of German spies on the coast, and they were supposed to do some things. They were captured.
0: My grandmother and... caught one of them. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, my grandmother and her mom, my great grandmother, caught a. Uh, it was an Austrian spy on the shores of North Carolina, where they, the the U boats were sitting there in the Gulf Stream and sinking merchant marine ships, and they had spies, and they were mailing maps back and forth. They said, or they were mailing books, but. My uh, great grandmother was the postmaster. And she knew that it couldn't have been books. They were mapping out the shoals and sands. And so my grandmother chased him down on her horse and uh, captured the man and his wife. And uh, she met the president and everything.
1: <laughs> Isn't that something? That, that's very interesting. Well, this, this particular group I'm thinking of, they captured them. They tried them within you know a very short period. It was less than a month. And uh, and they were hanged. Almost, I I think from start to finish, it was about a month that uh, you look at you look at 9/11, where we had this vast uh, foreign attack on us, and uh, I haven't I'm not aware of a single person who has been executed for involvement in those crimes. Not one single person. They get away with murdering 3,000 Americans. And we've gone through this big kabuki dance and pretended like, oh, we're doing this and that. And then we, we store them in Guantanamo until, uh, until we think the, the heat is off. And then we release them. And we release them to a Wahhabi nation where they can immediately return to war. Or if they're not in condition to do that, they, they live the good life.
0: Some of them uh, were never Harry's even arrested, decided. and some were let out of prison in Syria, and some were let out of prison in Libya. They let al-Qaeda go all the time because they're the gift that keeps on giving. They don't want them yeah, to totally. go That's That's no. the point. Like, they, with the Cold War gone, you need a replacement to justify the, the spending of trillions of dollars. And most of these groups we fostered ourselves, and some call it blowback, I would argue that it's not unintended consequences. These are intended consequences, because I'm very sinister about these kind of things. But when you really look at it, it's not just al-Qaeda. It's MEK, Jandala. All, all these groups have hand-in-glove relationships with Saudi Arabia and the United States every time, every yeah. single time.
1: Well, it's interesting. you know. Just to give you a little background on myself, I, I'm probably the most conservative Republican in the Virginia Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a, I'm, I'm a retired colonel. Uh, I fought with the Marines in Vietnam. Uh, my radio men were, were killed right beside me. Um, and uh, uh, So I, you know I'm very patriotic and, and very pro-American. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm a very logical and rational person. I, I don't get swept up by whatever's the latest uh, propaganda release uh, by the State Department, mm-hmm. and so.
0: Oh, they got uh, bad over a movie. <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> that, oh <laughs> explained Benghazi. Well, they you know, tried I, to kill him three times. They had a bomb in his hotel all before the movie came out. You know before the big assault in Benghazi and,
1: and and you know what's so troubling that never is reported on is that uh, Hillary Clinton promised the families of you know who, who were affected that she was going to imprison the person who had made that video that's that is an amazing thing and I, I it's I find it quite striking that the media has never criticized that that a, a very senior government official would pledge that they are going to put someone in prison. and she did. And uh, if if she can do it to to somebody for making a video, now he was he was on probation, and so she was able to technically use it. I'm going to tell you, as a career prosecutor uh, who who ended up being the head of the criminal law division in the Pentagon, uh, this this fellow for that probation violation uh, would never ever have gone to prison if it was just for making a video that was controversial about uh, religious matters.
0: Just offensive, so what? I mean, you don't go to jail for that. But H- Hillary Clinton will prosecute a person like that. And yet, she's defended child rapists. She had her Senate campaign financed by Mark Rich, who was on Interpol's most wanted list. And then her husband gave him a pardon his last hour in office. Along with Pincus Green and four other criminals, were involved in the, the, the worst things you can imagine. I can't even. I don't even want to say what they're involved in. With Mark Rich, everyone knows about his tax evasion and Glencore stealing from Zambia and copper mining and Russian oligarchs and all of that. But it was a lot dirtier than that what they were doing and the fact that he's on Interpol's most wanted list and he openly financed the campaign and then pardoned and, he, and Clinton took heat for that but I'm not hearing it now you know she's she could become president that's a very serious threat and she wants to bomb Iran you know and she completely toes the line on Syria on everything She's bought and paid for by these same factions, and it's just utterly disgusting to me. She wants to put someone in jail for making a, an offensive movie, but she'll defend a man raping a 12-year-old. She'll have war criminals, like Interpol's most wanted list, criminals that help starve Russians to death and, and sell people, selling people, sex slavery, that, those kind of guys. That's who the Clintons are with. And these, these are literal monsters. And I'm not a super conservative or anything. I'm a libertarian, but I, I call it like I see it. And, and Hillary Clinton is one of the most disgusting human beings in politics in any country. And she cannot become president. It, you know, worshipping the military or worshipping uh, foreign escapades is not patriotism. America is built on philosophies of personal liberty and freedom. That's what makes you a patriot is supporting freedom and peace and trade, not dominance because uh, we are stronger than anyone so we can go, you you know, become the world's policemen. It was never supposed to be set up like that. So I would argue that real patriots uh, are very judicious and logical and look and say, is this necessary for us to be aiding al-Qaeda or Saudi Arabia lelling in the bomb Yemen or... Uh, or Bahrain, or Baluchistan, or any of these places where we support despots. The the coup in Honduras, Hillary Clinton was instrumental in the coup, and, and now it's one of the most violent places in the world. And somehow, none of it sticks to her. I don't know how she beat out all the other candidates. O'Malley was openly anti-war, he didn't get any support from Democrats. Uh, she's beat out Bernie Sanders and the rest of them, and she's doing well in the polls, and I just don't understand it. She has screwed up everything she's ever attempted to do and lied about everything she's ever said. And the media it, loves it, her. it is
1: amazing that these people never are held accountable for for what they have done. Uh, you look at John McCain, who was very instrumental in overthrowing the government of Libya. Mm-hmm. And Today, the only thing we talk about is is Benghazi and the the death of the ambassador there. That's not the real story about Libya. The story about Libya is why did the United States attack a neutral, non-belligerent, allied country? Who had uh, disarmed,
0: too. Gaddafi had disarmed in 2003. Uh, got, they got rid of their WMDs. They ended their nuclear program. They were, he was capitulating to everything. And uh, it wasn't just the United States. All of NATO ganged up on Libya and left it to pure anarchy, the bad kind, run by warlords and al-Qaeda affiliates. It's like that right now. And no one – like, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's all – the the criticism that there is is this bubble around Benghazi and the ambassador. What about the country of Libya? And Hillary's laughing about a man being sodomized by a knife and murdered on film. We came, we saw, he died. Ha ha ha! That's a really sick individual.
1: That that is a, a bloodthirsty woman. And uh, you know, I appreciate you bringing up that comment where she was actually on TV and somebody came and whispered in her ear that he had just been killed, and and she she cackled and said, "We came." We saw he died you know she made up this you know this stupid little limerick and uh, she is a bloodthirsty woman who who has no heart for anyone uh, she she is really the embodiment of evil and I don't say this politically because I I have some very dear friends who are on the other side of the aisle who are good decent people we have disagreements over issues but uh, Uh, She is someone who is willing to kill, and she is willing to kill on a massive scale. And uh, I I think she's a great danger to us. Um,
0: She supported the sanctions that killed half a million children. And I wanted to ask you a quick question about sanctions in Syria. Is it true they're actually forbidding um, prosthetic limbs and cancer medications from going to Syria? What's the purpose for that?
1: Yes, what they're doing, they have, there there was just a, uh, there was an editorial in the Washington Post about two days ago, and they were, they were going on and on about, uh, about the sieges that were being run. Now, they only talk about the sieges by the Syrian army. They never talk about the ISIS siege on Deir al-Zor which may be the biggest one in the whole country, I'm not sure. But uh, it's always one way. But if you look at it from, from a global perspective, the most damaging siege that's being waged is being waged by the United States through its sanctions on Syria. That's causing mass hunger throughout the entire region. Part of the reason, and a significant part of the reason that we have a refugee crisis, is because the United States has imposed currency restrictions, and they will not let Syria engage in the in the market uh, in the market through the exchange of uh, of Syrian currency. Uh, I was told <clears throat> I went to a I went to a hospital in Damascus where they. Uh, treated many war amputees and I spoke with many of them very patriotic people they've I gotta say it, it kind of breaks your heart you talk to people and you you recognize their courage despite the fact that they've lost limbs and uh, and the the hospital director told me that uh, because of the financial sanctions uh that uh, the united states has blocked them from receiving prosthetic limbs and apparently they had at the time that i spoke they had a, a waiting list of 600 cancer patients and they had they had asked for some relief so that they could receive cancer medication mm-hmm. and they were told forget it you're you're not getting anything so we we are willing to let people die of cancer we are willing to let people go without prosthetic limbs in order to carry out uh, this this goal of toppling the freest country in the Middle East. It's uh, it, it's a really
0: Cancer you know patients I was, are left to die, but it's okay to arm Al Qaeda rebels who are machine gunning women in the floor.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, and those uh, so. It goes on and on, and, you know, I. Uh, and why do people uh, hate
0: us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they do. I, I bet. They, they used to love us. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you, I can remember a time when you'd go around the world, and with rare exception, people loved Americans. They thought we were the greatest people in the world. Today, you go to the Middle East. Now, I, I, for, for reasons that I have difficulty comprehending, the uh, the Syrian people, because they are such warm, loving people, they're they're very accepting. Wherever I went, um, I think they just they wanted an American who would say, look, please tell people the truth. Please let them know. Uh, the people are tremendously supportive of President Assad. Mm-hmm. And the, the Assad government probably has 75% uh, of the entire population under its control. He'd
0: have to or he wouldn't survive. mean,
1: You think of what happened with Hitler. There were probably eight attempts on his life during the war. Uh, this war in Syria has, has been of similar intensity to the Second World War in that location. Mm-hmm. And um, there have been certainly many opportunities there has never been an attempt on President Assad's life. Why? Because the people love him, and they realize that if if he leaves office, the country will come unraveled, and and they'll be slaughtered. And they don't want to be slaughtered. So, um, you know, the uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. In the summer of 2013, became so deeply concerned about the uh, strategic implications of a potential collapse of of Syria that they tasked the Defense Intelligence Agency with doing a complete review of Syria and rendering formal findings. DIA uh, did a complete scrub of the intelligence. They came back and they rendered three findings number one Assad must not leave office if he does Syria will dissolve in chaos just as Libya has number two Turkey is an incredible problem because they're supplying Isis with weapons number three there are no moderate rebels the idea of moderate rebels is a fantasy and they're non-existent and inconsequential, uh, if to the extent that there may be a couple of them somewhere out uh, in the cave.
0: It was a moderate beheading. It was a moderate thing. Well, yeah.
1: the the, moderate, the moderates use a moderately sharp knife
0: right. when
1: they behead a child instead of a, a, a really sharp one. That's that's what an American moderate is. Right. So it's it's a shame, and you know I, I'm very proud of my nation. But when I was a, I was a private, originally, I, I retired as a colonel out of the Pentagon. But when I was a private at Paris Island, we used to stand at night and we would, we would sing at the top of our lungs the Marine Corps hymn. And it said, uh, I will fight for right and freedom and to keep our honor clean. Mm-hmm. We're proud to claim the title of United States Marine. To keep our honor clean. I have never seen a more filthy and putrid war than the war that we're waging on the innocent people of Syria.
0: And we have boots on the ground now. Thanks, Obama.
1: We have boots on the ground, and we're creating new turmoil and new conflict. So uh, it's it's a shame, and I just hope that with uh, with people like you, we can't, obviously, the broadcast media it's totally censored
0: yeah uh, they, they were let, the same with Iraq they they just cheerlead every Pentagon talking point that's all they do
1: yes yes, so it's going to have to be through uh, organizations like yours that we get the word out and uh, I think I think we're making progress and we just uh, I just pray that we can we can do it before uh, it goes too far because it is. Uh,
0: it's turning the corner, if you remember, they, the, the U.S. public did shut down Obama from straight-up bombing Syria in the beginning. That's how they tried to start it. And now they, and they were forced to use proxy forces the way they did during the Contra affair because they couldn't go openly since the second war in Iraq was so bad that the American people wouldn't put up with it anymore. But it took many years for media like this to reach enough people to tell the correct story and uh, hopefully we can force mass media to be a bit more honest but I'm more for just replacing them and I want to thank you for all your time coming on today and I hope people will will look up your website for Richard Black in Virginia and support you and uh, read what you've been writing and and listen to some of your other interviews and broadcasts around uh, YouTube and and on websites.
1: Well thank you very much I really appreciate what you're doing um, we, we have to be sort of the new revolution, the, the media revolution, where, uh, where people can take back power over their government, uh, which we have totally lost. The people, the people are inconsequential to the federal government anymore, and uh, we, we've got to restore that balance uh, so that, so that uh, we truly can have a great nation.
0: Yeah, I think so. It doesn't cost – I always tell people we can do this because it costs far less to tell the truth than it does to lie. They have to spend millions of dollars to lie to you and have sustained propaganda. For a tiny fraction of that, we can have real uh, uh, alternative and honest media because we, we don't need corporate backers and all that. All you have to do is tell the truth. I, I, I made this little ribbon when they had to support the troops. I made my own. It says stop killing people. It's that simple. you mean you think that's not controversial, I but I love it. It's, it's great. That simple. Quit well, listen, killing each other.
1: It's been great talking to you and uh, please keep up the good work. You're you're definitely doing wonderful things.
0: Thank you, sir, and uh, continue on. Okay, thank you. okay, thank you. Bye now.